1: Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Walkie Bucks Reporter at ESPN, Wisconsin. Joining me as always is my good friend and the founder of Brew Hoop, Frank Madden. Frank, you were not supposed to join me today, but things happened, so now you're here. So you're joining me.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm here. I'm alive and alert. Um and uh yeah, there's there's I guess finally some movement. I guess, you know, after a few days of uh, Kind of radio silence. The Bucks have decided they, they are indeed going to go try to find a head coach, and we're we're seeing some uh, some list. The list, the list that that didn't previously previously exist. We haven't heard a uh, a uh, rebuttal of, of no list existing. Um, so I guess a list now exists, and uh, um, or at least uh, uh, we've seen at least part of it. I guess at this point,
1: that is correct. Uh, Adrian Wojnarowski this morning reports that. Uh, Milwaukee is embarking on a coaching search with a list of candidates that includes several former head coaches: Steve Clifford, Mike Budenholzer, Monty Williams, David Fizdale, and David Blatt. Bucks plan to interview those coaches and possibly several more. So, one of those coaches is now not on their list. David Fizdale has agreed to a uh, deal to become the New York Knicks head coach. Uh, one of the other guys on our on our uh, preview coaching podcast, Igor Kokosk Oh, God. I cannot. Igor. Igor. Uh, He has been hired by the Phoenix Suns, and he'll be the first non-North American-born coach in NBA history. So exciting stuff there. But uh, some guys off the list. um, I mean, I... Obviously those names are all out there and uh, some of them we've talked about on the podcast. Other of them, I think maybe we'll wait until Monday and kind of do a wraparound of stuff that we, we haven't done and uh, names that people want us to talk about that we didn't discuss. So we can handle some of that, but I guess for me, this is, uh, I think going to be a pretty wide search. I think that's going to be pretty wide as they go through assistants and former head coaches and, I mean, it really, anyone else? Like, I think this is a job that's that's pretty attractive. Maybe we'll talk about uh, the reasons why it's not as attractive here in the, the second half of you and me talking here. But um, I guess just general thoughts on seeing that list and kind of thinking about this process.
2: Yeah, I, I tweeted out earlier. You know, I, I certainly would like to see some of the you know kind of up and coming uh, folks attached to the Bucks as well. Just because I, I don't know, you know, why you wouldn't want to also hear from some of the, the current assistants who haven't had a shot at a, a head coaching job, like, you know, the Nick nurses and, you know, freaking the entire staff of the Spurs who all seem to automatically get, um, connected with jobs, um, whenever, uh, whenever, you know, these things have been mentioned. So, um, so yeah, and again, I don't think this is the end of, of the list. So I, I, would, I would expect that you will hear some of those names that, that we've been talking about, um, you know, the Finches and I guess from the Spurs, you know, I mean, I, I I'm probably easier to say the Spurs who, who won't get interviewed. Um, the Spurs people who won't get interviewed. I mean, Monty Williams isn't even an assistant. He's probably the guy I'm least interested in just because, you know, we know he was an okay coach, but I don't.
1: Uninspiring coach. Yeah. Very I, I good know. at relationships and being a great human, but mm, yeah, on the tactics.
2: Yeah. It's like, I don't know. Yeah. yeah I'm not, I'm not super uh, convinced on him, but uh, what, like, I mean, at Atori Messina, James Borrego, Becky Hammond. Uh, I mean, I don't think I'm Udoka I don't think he's probably going to get actually interviewed. Um, he's probably like too far down the Spurs' assistant pecking order. Uh, but I know you guys were. I think you guys had also mentioned him, or at least Eric had included him in the uh, in the list of, of potential assistants. So um, so anyway, I, I assume some of those names will will be connected um, with the Bucks at some point, probably, especially with uh, you know some of the names that have been, or at least a couple of the names that have been dropping out, including one of the folks that was mentioned by Woj just you know hours before uh the David Fisdale announcement he was in the list that Woj cited um and you know I would have to say uh, uh you know if you're gonna pick a bunch of guys who have been head coaches in the NBA um this wasn't an offensive list there was no uh Mark Jackson um no I'm trying to think of, I'm trying to think of like other guys who would like piss me off right um I mean I, I don't want Doc Rivers if it had said like all oh, the Bucks are targeting Doc Rivers that also would have a bit annoying although I I don't know how publicly or I don't know if that's if if how much rivers is going to be connected with any team at this point given like he's still head coach someplace else so it's a little you know I don't Mm -hmm. know it's a little little tricky so um so anyway yeah I mean I'm I you know again like David Blatt is probably I think a great coach who I don't I don't I don't I I mean do you want to be the team that hires David Blatt given like his rep is that players didn't like him slash respect him and he took himself too seriously like that's that's kind of a tough. I don't know. That's tough, man. Like if you're the guy that LeBron hated, like uh, that's that's a risk to bring a guy like that in. So I, I don't know. Like I,
1: I was gonna say I told uh, I told Eric earlier today as we were kind of like talking through our list and stuff like that that I think I'm probably willing to sacrifice a little bit on like tactics and strategy for player relationships. If that makes any yeah. sense, like I I don't want a guy that may possibly turn off Giannis like that may be like you don't want to hire the guy that's the reason why Giannis left like he was too strong-willed or um, he just demanded too much or he was unreasonable or whatever it is like that was why, part of the reason why David Fisdale was a question mark for me like you turned off one superstar um, and again Marcus Allen and Giannis Dedekum are two different people but could it happen again maybe um so for me that's a, a big turn off for of me for david blatt like he uh, he just had a little bit too much ego um and i think failed to realize that whatever he did in europe meant nothing to anyone that was playing in the nba like there, there's no doubt that he is great tactically and obviously won a bunch of games in europe but nba players don't care like that they, they Don't they don't follow that? They don't know that. Um, So you kind of have to prove it to him. And he thought he was a little bit above that. So yeah, for me, David Blatt's a a little bit scary for that reason. Just because you know, I I don't know if his ego has changed. Like if he has been humbled's the wrong word, but just like willing to see that he needs to be better in in that. in that regard, as far as a head coach in the NBA goes. So um, I I would, I'm meh there. Monte Williams, obviously we talked about tactics aren't great, though undoubtedly he would pass the other test; Like people would like him um, and do that. Steve Clifford is someone that we honestly, while we were recording the podcast, kind of passed over as former coaches. I I think Steve Clifford, uh, I think you worry a little bit about the work-life balance. Obviously he missed a bunch of the year with some health problems that were pretty much from, like overextending himself and coaching too much and um, you know, just not having the healthiest work-life balance. So I think there's some concerns there. His Charlotte teams just haven't been able to win. Um, I think he's very good tactically. I think he does a lot of really interesting things on both sides of the ball, but it just hasn't correlated to wins. And I think that Charlotte team has had some talent at least. Um, so I don't know. Um, Budenholzer's out of those five that, uh, Adrian Wojnarowski listed specifically he would be the one that's probably at the top. Um, but as I've said, I, I worry a little bit about hiring an experienced coach to come in here and, and do the job in Milwaukee.
2: Yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean, I think we've dissected Budenholzer enough. I think one, I think one interesting wrinkle to the Budenholzer thing, um, which I, I, I'm trying to remember if I just forgot to talk about it or if I, maybe I just I didn't see it until after we had our conversation. I think I just saw it afterwards. But um, you know, I mean, how he got the Hawks, to give him $14 million to quit, basically, um, is pretty impressive. Um, and, and I guess it would have been interesting to be in those meetings, um, I guess. <laughs> but I mean, keep in mind, also, you know, I mean, Bud was not the, the... He was not hired by the current... By I guess, Travis Schlenk, the the GM that came in last summer. Um, so there's an interesting dynamic there, right? And he obviously effectively lost personnel power to him, and then um, obviously they went in a rebuilding direction that Probably is not very fun for for any coach. So I don't know what all the dynamics are there, but um, he and you know he won the staring contest basically and and obviously got the paid to to leave. And so it's an interesting dynamic because apparently I mean there's there are offsets in it, but he's going to get seven million dollars each of the next two years. And it's, I, think, I forget where I saw it, but someone tweeted that um, there's offsets such that it, you know basically if the Bucks give him seven million, then the Hawks don't have to pay him seven million. Um, or if the Bucks give him six million, and the Hawks only owe him one million. Hmm. Um, so there's this very interesting dynamic where, and again, I don't know, I don't know if this is gonna be how the teams are gonna do it, but I mean, in theory, you could give him basically, <laughs> again, this is based off this very simple like idea that that I saw on Twitter um, about the, this offset. But you know, in theory, he's in a position where he could say, look, you can get me, What you know, you could give me very little the next two years and give me, you know, three more years after that and basically just take some of the money you would have given me these first two years and just plow it <laughs> in the back, right? I mean, th- right? Yeah, I mean, if- you definitely
1: could. <laughs> I mean, Man, that'd that be nice. That'd be well done on his part.
2: Right? I mean, yeah. if he was smart enough to negotiate this, this free $14 million for the next two years, um, <laughs> then wouldn't you also, like, want to you know, not just have that, basically not just give it up because you get another job. Absolutely. Know, yeah. Um, so I think the argument you would make if your butt is like, you were giving me a long-term deal because, Hey, I can cut you. And again, I have no idea. Maybe there's some, some other details in the contract that would prevent this. But, um, but in theory it, it seems like, you know, there may be some, some, some finagling that one could do there, <laughs> which is interesting. Cause I mean the bucks, um, Oh, Jason kid, a lot of money yeah. for the next couple of years. And, um, you know, I mean, they didn't go for any big name GMs last summer, which probably was partly due to not wanting to pay a lot of money for a GM, right? I mean, yeah, I, I assume so, right? And they have the cheapest GM in the league, at least as far as we know. So, um, again, like, it's interesting where teams are and aren't willing to spend money. And, you know, a lot of teams don't really pay GMs very much money, which always, always seemed kind of weird to me that mm-hmm. teams don't seem to prioritize that. But, um but yeah, so that's an interesting factor, which especially for a team like the Bucks, which you know maybe has some cost considerations that it might want to factor in. Um, I think that'll be really interesting. And, and obviously, you know, Budenholzer before the Bucks, you know, were out of the playoffs, had been linked to the New York job pretty strongly. And obviously, now that um, that that's out, you know off the table, uh, it's interesting to wonder if um, if the stars are sort of aligning for him to, to now be you know the favorite or or at least we you know would the Bucks job be his favorite especially if he's obviously you know he's now officially out in, in Atlanta so so I don't know I mean it's tough to kind of say what will what, happen I mean I, I, you know I wouldn't want the process to start with the Bucks assuming that they're going to hire Budenholzer because again I don't think he's like a no brainer um, yeah. but as I've said before I think he's pretty at least from a, a coaching quality standpoint I mean we talked about the risks especially if you're John Horst of hiring a guy who is going to be you know um far more established and probably have a heck of a lot more job security than you moving forward mm-hmm. um but uh certainly from just like a risk of the coach being bad perspective you know he, i would say he's probably the safest pick you can make um and again not that that should be the only factor because yeah, like i said I, i'm sure one of these younger assistants one of these guys is probably going to turn out or, or girls you know becky hammond also in that mix um one of those, one of those, one of those names is going to turn out to probably be like a fantastic coach. Yeah. I don't know if they're going to be Brad Stevens, um, but probably somebody and there's going to be a terrific coach. And the hard part, like you know, in the NBA draft, whatever is, well, you know, do you, how do you how do you weigh kind of upside and the unknown versus uh, the safer pick? So, um, so it'll be interesting to see kind of how this evolves. And again, um, you know, if, if if Budenholzer had taken the New York job, it would be interesting to see you know, how many people would be talking about the bucks waiting too long to start their coaching search right yeah Um, i I haven't nobody's kind of complained to me about that yet at least on twitter just because of the Fizdale thing but i know there was some anxiety when budenholzer was interviewing with atlanta or with uh, phoenix and you know my view was look if the bucks are interested in a guy and the guy's interested in the bucks then you know like they'll probably be made known through back (laughs) channels Uh, yeah i mean these things have gotten strung out right i mean like you know it it Atlanta didn't didn't hire their coach until you know the Bucks season was over or sorry um the Suns didn't hire their coach till the Bucks season was over you know Knicks aren't doing it until obviously the Bucks have officially sort of seemingly or well not officially but seemingly started their search so so I don't know I mean again it's like did the Bucks miss out on someone because they just waited too long I, I don't know if exactly that line of logic I would subscribe to but clearly it's it's time to start this process and Um, Obviously, you know, uh, the sooner the better. And, um, you know, there's no there's no award for for patience in hiring a coach because at this point you'd expect the best candidates are are available and you're going to be able to interview them.
1: Yeah, and uh, I, like I mentioned earlier, I think we'll probably uh, take some of your guys' input on coaches that we didn't t- talk about and uh, other things that we need to clean up from this three-part podcast. But uh, I would assume on Monday we will kind of wrap around and get some of those guys and uh, make sure that we, we break it all down so that uh, we have everything all ready to go for you. And there's no doubt that the coaching search will, will certainly be our probably next week of podcasts um, before we see one of those guys gets, gets hired. So um, I'm sure we'll have interviews and uh, second interviews and stuff like that. Um, Some other stuff from today. um, I can't believe I'm about to do this, but um, Mark Spears from ESPN tweeted out today, um, this morning that, and the only reason I'm doing this is so I can make this crystal clear to everyone. Um, Ex NBA head coach Jim Clemens had an informal phone conversation with Bucks general manager John Horse this morning in regards to their head coach opening, a source said. All right, an informal phone interview or an informal phone conversation is not an interview. Let's start there. Informal- what is an
2: informal phone conversation? Does that mean you were wearing like
1: sweatpants while you were on the phone? Like what? <laughs> I, I I suppose so. Um, so, informal phone conversation, not an interview. Let's be very clear there. And then on top of that, it is leak season. So when leaks are happening, um, I tweeted this out earlier today, but you need to be smart enough to ask yourself a few questions. Like, anytime you see a story get leaked, you need to ask questions. And the first question would be, who would benefit from this information being out? would <laughs> Would the Milwaukee Bucks benefit from having people think that they talked to Jim Clemens? I would say no. Would Jim Clemens benefit from people thinking that he talked to the Milwaukee Bucks about their head coach position? Has Jim Clemens had a head coach job in a while? No. No, he hasn't. So I think it would be safe to assume that Jim Clemens is the source on who had the conversation uh, about their head coaching jobs. So, like again, I I'm I'm not trying to say that there was anything more or less to talking about Jim Clemens. Jim Clemens, but I just wanted to be very clear: the Bucks did not interview him. That was not an interview. There is little to suggest Jim Clemens is a major part or one of the top candidates. In this search, like, just think through this stuff a little bit uh, before asking me to break down Jim Clemens as a coaching candidate. I'm well, not going to do that. Like, also, Jim Clemens has John Horst's number because he was a Bucks assistant from 2013 to 2014. So, like you said, what's an informal phone conversation? Is that Jim calling John and saying, hey, John, what's going on? I haven't talked to you in a while. Hey, Jim, what's up? What do you need? Oh, I heard you guys uh, were looking for a head coach. Yep, we sure are. It's going to be a tough process. Okay, well, sounds good. Talk to you later. That could have been an informal phone conversation. That could Big gulps, been... huh? <laughs> Big golf <laughs> Well, see you later. I guess I'm a head coach candidate now. Um, like it, That could be as much as it is. So I just want to stress, yeah. during league season, just use your brains. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. Uh... I had totally forgotten that he was an assistant under Larry Drew. I was like that whole year is such a, you know, I remember Nick Van Exel being an assistant. I remember Bob Bender being an assistant. And then like, I, I don't remember like anybody else. Um, So that, that is funny. By the way, do you, do you know, do you know what, what Jim Clemens job, what, what job Jim Clemens took last year?
1: Jim Clemens.
2: Mm. You don't, you don't. Let me tell you. It, from his wikipedia page in 2017 clemens accepted a position as an assistant coach for the yeshiva university of los angeles high bad. school high school boys basketball team they might have some prospects mazel tov jim um <laughs> yeah that's uh that that would be the uh that, that that's just hilarious the, the idea that anyone would have been uh Afraid of of Jim Clemens actually getting this job. Um, please so just, don't. don't. So that, that, just, that would have been that would have been the most hilarious leap. <laughs> um, like I was asking of you about you know who would who is the John Horst equivalent. I, I I would say John Horst's previous job was was higher in the GM equivalency than yes. being the assistant coach of the Shiva University of Los Angeles High School Boys Basketball Team. So I apologize, John. I didn't. You you are you're definitely more qualified. <laughs> <laughs> that, um, but yes, Jim Clemens uh, will never be heard from again uh, regarding the Milwaukee Bucks. So, but
1: I am um, actually happy it happened because it was a useful exercise. Like, just use yeah. your heads. Like, think yeah. through it when you see anything relating to Milwaukee Bucks. Like, don't ev anything and everything that says the word "bucks" in it doesn't need to be a major part of your concern. Doesn't need to have a lot of time thought about it. Like, if it's serious, sure, but if it's not, like, just move past it. Like, you don't you don't need to freak out or lose any sleep.
2: And if you're and if you're uh, you know the whichever Bucks owner owns a you know uh, Applebee's with Rick Pitino or whatever, uh, don't answer Rick Pitino's phone calls for the next few weeks, please. Don't don't give Rick Pitino's people an excuse to say that he discussed the Bucks' <laughs> coaching job with you. Yes, there's no upside to it. The Applebee's will be fine. We can worry about it later. Um, yeah. Anyway,
1: right. J- just reject that phone call. It, yeah. it can, it can go to voicemail. Should we talk about Windy? Yeah, let's talk a little bit about uh, Brian Windhorst and Rachel Nichols on the jump today. Um, discuss the Bucks coaching job a little bit. Rachel, obviously the host of the show, brought it up, and I guess I'll tr- I'll probably read this just verbatim. Um, and she started it by asking, you know, is is the Bucks coaching job considered the best open one because you've got Giannis? And as she did that, Windhorse started shaking his head. And she was like, No. And he said, It's not. Here's the issue with the Bucks shop. One year from now, owner Wes Edens will turn control over to owner Mark Lazary. And Rachel started to try to explain, you know, this is bizarre by the way. And he said, This is a thing within the coaches' circles. This has been on the books for five years. It was all planned. And Rachel explains it's part of the ownership agreement that they rotate who the primary slash lead owner is, which is weird. So before getting into the rest of Windhorse uh explanation. To be clear on this, this is something that we discussed last year. This is something that I think we've already discussed in in this. Yeah, we discussed it last week or uh, earlier in this week, uh, just about the fact that after this season, Wes Edens will relinquish that. Mark Lazar will take control. And essentially what it is is everyone sends one representative to the Board of Governors um, meeting every year, and also one person serves as the representative to the Board of Governors. And what that means is that is the final person that everything goes through. So if you're making a a decision about the organization, that is the person that it has to go through. Uh, You may remember this from last year when they had everyone thought come to an agreement that Justin Zanuck would be the next general manager. Uh, Mark Lazzari was thinking that. Jason Kidd was thinking that. Jamie Dynan was thinking that. And then it got to Wes Eden's who has the the chair, the Board of Governors seat right now? And he said, no, that is not the guy that we want. We can do better, whatever it may have been. Uh, and then that was when the GM search started. So it was because it got to Wes Eaton's desk and he said, no. So that's what we're talking about when we're talking about the Board of Governors seat, like the idea that, ownership will, you know, turn over control to the other owner. Like it's not the the franchise up for sale or anything. It's just that since these two people came in as even owners of a basketball team, they needed to find a way to make them even owners and the way to do that was 5 years at a time. One of them has control of the Board of Governors seat, and then the other one gets it for the next five years. The NBA hates this. They are not a fan of this. They try to avoid co-owners as much as possible, essentially for the reason that you've seen in Milwaukee. Like These things happen, and then it can get combative, and it can get ugly, and it's disruptive. So... That kind of explains it. Anything else you want to add there before I get to the rest of Windhorse's uh, explanation?
2: Um, no. Uh, go ahead. We'll, we'll take it all.
1: Okay. So after that, Wendy says, they've had a little bit of an issue. They had an issue hiring the general manager last year. So a coach comes in. Yes, he gets Giannis. He knows that but the coach doesn't 100% know that when the ownership thing revolves, whether or not that owner is going to be on board with him. That's a big factor for these guys coming into this job and that's something that the Bucks are going to have to alleviate when they have these interviews. It's going to be these candidates interviewing the owners about, hey, how is this going to work in a year? Are you, who is sitting in the back of the room right now, when you are sitting in the front of the room, are you going to fire me? That's a legitimate question. So after that, Rachel kind of was skeptical and said, "You know, I mean, that is a talent league. Like they have Giannis. I think that's still going to push them up to the top of the list." And Windhorse kind of pushed back and said, "Rachel, I'm not speculating. I'm telling you what coaching candidates are saying. So react, Frank."
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, again, I I think Hey uh, Windhorse was among those who probably pretty recently was saying how great uh, of, an, of a, an, an attractive a situation the, the Bucks job was, right? So I don't think Windhorse just changed his mind personally. I'm sure that there's some sort of, you know, like you're saying, background to this. Um, but it's also, you know, uh, you know, and I think Dean Mania, our, our friend uh, Dean, I think, references as well. I mean, there's also kind of leveraging
1: go, probably mm-hmm. going
2: on here as well, saying, you know, hey, Bucks, you 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 got to pay up to actually have us go go come come coach for you, um, and uh, yeah, okay, you think your job is great? Well, yeah, but you know, we we need some assurances with with you know the kind of shit show that happened last summer and um, pay me uncir- more, give yeah. me more but, years. But he, here's the thing that was just kind of weird about it was just, <laughs> it's like, look, Wes Edens was the architect of last summer's disaster, right? Like, yeah. if if they just hire Zanuck, I mean, again, like. I mean, I can't guarantee you that Justin Zanuck would have made all the right decisions and, and whatever, but, you know, his pedigree was there, Everybody, you know, around the league, he was respected. Um, people in the organization were all pretty shocked that he was jerked around the way he was, um, and, and that's why we were so kind of just mystified and, and negative about the whole process, yeah. um, even, even leading up to kind of the end, right? I mean, we were like, this is kind of, you know, even before they kind of decided like, oh, Justin Zanuck is the only finalist left, but we're still not going to him. <laughs> yeah,
1: I was going to say, um, that whole week we were just like, oh, uh, yeah, we what's going on here? I
2: mean, yeah, and and it came down to Wes Edens from the start decided he didn't want Justin Zanuck to be his, his GM, but couldn't prevent Justin Zanuck from continuing the process for whatever reason. And obviously, you know, we know how the story kind of went from there. And as you said, as the governor Uh, the official you know board of governors member uh from the bucks he he could veto that and it sounded like i don't know if that was outright used or he just sort of said i'm i'm not going to do it whatever so um but the weird thing about kind of windhorse like whole thesis is making it seem like mark lazary is like 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 he's not going to offer his opinion or or he's not involved in the process at all now or like like, he's going to be hiding behind a plant, not telling anyone <laughs> if he hates the coaching candidate because he wants to come back in a year and fire them for no reason. I mean, do whatever you, know, like, you want this
1: year because it's my <laughs> show next year. I
2: mean, like, I don't, I, I mean, again, uh, I, I, and that, you know, I mean, Mark Lassery was not at John Horst's introductory press conference. And I don't, I, I think we can say that that was not a coincidence. It um, was not. Not to say that, I don't know. I wouldn't say that Lassery necessarily like has some grudge against Horse specifically, but. I don't know what the relationship is between Wes Edens and, and Mark Lazar at this point. I mean, they never they never really sat together at Bucks games, and so th- I, we can't really tell because it never seemed like they interacted that much to begin with. Even though they have a long yeah. relationship, um, so anyway. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it like Windhorse thing is like a little bit like contrived in the sense that it makes it seem like a like head coaches are really afraid that if they like come in and like do a decent job or good job that like ownership is going to like decide that they want to fire them because, you know, and, and like, as I, again, like I think this is Rachel Nichols point was like, if you're like a good head coach, you're going to be like, well, we're going to be good. And then everybody's going to yeah, love me or whatever, me. Yeah. you know, whatever. And, um, and, and also it's like, I mean, Mark Lassery isn't incentivized to like, let a terrible coach get hired. Now, you know, if the process goes off the rails again and they're bickering about who should be coach and, you know, John Horse is not in control of the process, and like Wes Edens decides, I'm going to get my guy. Okay, then you know, then I think you can start talking about this narrative. But certainly, I think the ownership group and, and, and Jamie Dynan is obviously part of this as well. Although he seems like the more the most agreeable of the bunch, um, I, like these guys don't aren't incentivized to have like you know to come to some bad result, right? I mean. Yep you know, fundamentally like they want to, I think, come to a, a consensus. That has generally been their, their view. And they also, um, you know, once, once this guy gets hired, they obviously also don't want to fire the guy just to screw over the other, like Lazarus doesn't want to fire the other guy, fire this guy just because to get back at West Edens or something like that. Right. Um, so I think it, yeah, I would agree. I think this is kind of, I don't want to say fear mongering, but, um, from a coaching perspective, like, okay like windhorse, you're you're shaking your head that this isn't the most attractive job so what's the most attractive job now (laughs) being being james dolan's head coach is that the most attractive job like what seriously what what's the most attractive head coaching job out there um atlanta like what Mm,
1: what's it's milwaukee yeah i mean
2: it's the same right it's just you may yeah i mean absolutely like the bucks can't offer unless it's Mike Budenholzman for the next few years. Yeah. They, they can't offer no money and expect, you know, the best head coaches to throw themselves at the job. Um, and, but uh, again, it's, it, I, I do think it's, it has to be contextualized. And I don't want to take the bucks off the hook, especially Wes Edens, because obviously, you know, the history of this has to be factored in. And I think it has to be factored into more, more about like John Horst's future. And that obviously also impacts the coach. But, um, but I also would push back on sort of how much, how much of a big deal Wendy was making of it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I like I said, it's league season, so let's take a look. First question, who would this benefit the most? Wouldn't benefit the Bucks the most. It would benefit any coach that's in the job. So uh like, to me like it, you can tell that it is a bit of a leverage play from those coaches and i think just adding on to kind of some of the conceptualization you're you were trying to do there like if you think about the the greater context of the league like there's bad owners all over the place <laughs> you you mentioned James Dolan, like who who's to say that at any job you're gonna not get fired a year later? Like David Fisdale might know that better than anyone. He coached a year and yeah. just over uh a year and like what twenty games and he got fired. And people largely thought he did a good job. Like this this stuff can happen. And you know how you're protected from it? You have a contract. And if they want to fire you, they're gonna pay you for it. And then if it was so unfair and so terrible, you know who's going to be there to help you out? Brian Windhorst. He'll let everyone know just how bad it was. And every other reporter can let everyone else know the same way. And you can probably continue to have a good reputation. And you can probably get another job pretty quickly. So um, I would agree. It is. It speaks to the mess that I think last year's general manager decision was. And I think it speaks to uh, the unique ownership situation in Milwaukee. Um, but to say that this would denigrate the Bucks in such a way that they're no longer the most attractive job situation, I think is is a reach. Like it, they, to me, there's still no doubt that this is this would be the best job um, out there. I just can't think of another one. So I I would agree with you, Frank, um, important to contextualize, but also, you know, you gotta kind of think through it. And again, it's leak season. So ask some questions and think about it for a little while. Um, I think that's going to be it for today. Anything else you wanted to hit on? Are we good? No, uh, we'll have, I think
2: a lot more on sort of this, the whole power dynamic. And obviously we'll see if there's any news, additional news on the head coaching front, uh, on Monday, but, uh, why don't we just let it let this marinate for a while and we'll bludgeon it to death uh, the rest of next week as well.
1: All right. That sounds good. Uh, So that's going to be it for Frank. I'm going to now join Eric and we're going to give you our, uh, I guess Eric's top three, I believe Um, it will start with our guy Igor. Um, But like I said, I wanted to keep it in just so, you know, you can kind of see why he was uh, an attractive candidate and hopefully that can help paint a picture of why, um, certain coaches are attractive and why they might be good fits so uh, that'll be the start of this conversation and then you'll get the rest of the top three and then you'll be well educated uh, and then like i said google doc will go out with all of eric's notes so if you want to get more information click through all of that uh, there'll also be a post up at brew hoop if you want to get those uh, maybe a little bit cleaner you can go over there and do that um, and then we'll reconvene on all of this on monday so for frank i'm eric this has been the pre locked on bucks, locked on bucks. And right now, we're going to get back into our coach's preview podcast, part three. Right now, here we go. Let's go to our next candidate. Who do you have? Oh, you're going to make me
0: pronounce it. Okay.
1: So uh, I, I guess I definitely knew exactly what I was doing. I believe it's Igor Coco Koko- Kokoskov or Kokoskov. Kaka- yeah. I'm not 100% sure.
0: I heard. A, a pretty grainy video, I think say Kokoskov once. Okay. Um but you know grainy videos on YouTube aren't necessarily reliable <laughs> all the time.
1: Um Kokoskov so, makes sense. It's a yeah. uh, Igor i, I- G O R K O K O S K O V.
0: Yes, and he's uh he's forty six um he's Serbian FY so currently he's on the Utah Jazz bench. He's been there since 2014. But uh, he's, you know, I haven't in in the notes I didn't list every stop he's made, but there's been there's plenty <laughs> of stops for him. Sure, I got them. I, I got them oh, all. Go um for it. Let's go So the whole
1: thing. in the US um, obviously he had he had coached overseas before coming to the US. Um, joined I believe this would have been Quinn Snyder's team when he was at the university of Missouri. Um, so from 99 to 2000, he was an assistant at Missouri. Um, and my guess was, I'm almost positive that that would have been a Quinn Snyder team. Cause that feels right about with the timeline, uh, then he moved to the NBA 2000, 2003 with the Los Angeles Clippers. Oh, three to Oh eight with the Detroit Pistons. Um, The Pistons were good during that time, if you didn't know. Um, (laughs) That would have been with Larry Brown. Uh, The years with the Clippers would have been with Alvin Gentry. Um, Then in 08, he jumped over to the Phoenix Suns. He was with the Suns from 08 to 2013. Uh, Then he was with the Cavs in 13-14. Then the Magic, I believe, shortly before hopping on with the Jazz. So, he has been around, and I mean a number of those coaches I've just mentioned have been i mean pretty good um and then he's coached on the international side as well um he was the head coach of the Georgia men's basketball team uh the country, not the university um so I guess he would have. Zaza, I guess he would have coached Zaza at some point. Um he was the coach of from 08 to twenty fifteen. Uh and then he took the Slovenia uh national team. Uh he's the coach for them in the took over in January of twenty sixteen. He led the Slovenian team to uh twenty seventeen Eurobasket gold medal. Um that Slovenian team I believe would have had uh future Number one pick in the draft, maybe not number one pick, Luka Doncic, and uh, also Goran Dragic. Mm-hmm. So there, there are some things.
0: Yep, and maybe overall unimportant, but his his uh, stint on the Missouri bench made him the first European full-time assistant in college basketball. So uh,
1: that that, <sighs> that being said, that's a lot of coaching, FY.
0: That is a lot of coaching, and his time in Detroit perhaps coincided with that of John Hammond. So, you Ooh. know, if you want to, you know, continue that lineage, uh then he's the guy for you. But uh um,
1: that that yeah. would mean John Horst would have at least some, like uh, whether or not it's a it's a firsthand connection. Because I don't know. I think if he left in '08, I don't believe he would have been there with. Uh, maybe at yeah, the end you know. he he would have known. But either way, that's uh, a Hammond connection to me is is good for a horse connection as well because, I mean, that's a, a one-to-one kind of connection. Yeah. Like, you're not going six different degrees. Like, it's just a, a single one-person connection.
0: A couple of stats just in, you know, the old offensive rating stats and whatnot. Uh, in Phoenix, he he had a top 10 offense in four of those five seasons. Uh, including being number one twice. Um, and did you mention that he coached in, uh, in under Messina? I did not. All right. So for one year, in 2012 to 2013, he, he was on that staff as well, if that's something that uh, helps your case for him. Uh, and then, you know, with Utah, um, the the offensive and defensive stats are weren't as easy to grab, just because I, I would I would consider Utah um, pretty solid in both regards, not necessarily you know pushing the pace or going or going crazy um, uh, on either offense or defense. They're pretty just solid and straight up both on both sides. But they did have a top five net rating last two seasons. If that's something you're interested in. Um, a lot of the uh, sets that I've linked in the Google Doc from the Slovenia national team, um just a lot of uh, creative offense. If mm-hmm. that's your thing, there's a ton. I think I linked, let's see, six, and they're you know really informative. If not, you know, they're not super long, but they're informative and uh, interesting and exciting. And there's plenty more on there, so you can look those up if you want. But if you If you want to put stock in it, he was on that Detroit Pistons staff that had an amazing defense, though the rules are different now in terms of the hand checking and whatnot. Uh, there is you know that experience of not just being like a crazy offensive mind and Man. having a bit more balance that uh you know Utah also possesses right now.
1: I mean, that's fascinating to think like he was with the Pistons when they have these great defenses. Now he's with the Jazz, as they've been, I think they were number two in uh, defensive rating this year, number three in defensive rating last year. So he's had that kind of incredible defense um, that he's been a part of. But then his other time was with uh, not the D'Antoni Suns, but the Alvin Gentry sons right after that. And the years that he was there um, from 08 to 13, uh they were in 08, 09, number 3 in offense then number 1 in offense then number 9 in offense then number 8 in offense and then uh in the year that gentry ends up having his last year there they're 29th in offense but i mean he's gone i mean that's that's a incredible offensive teams and incredible defensive teams like he's done kind of kind of both of those things where some of these other guys on the list have just kind of been pushed into one of those directions, if that makes sense. And um, I I know we talked about international guys earlier and, you know, having a a big time major uh, resume overseas. Like he's been in, even though he is Serbian, like he's been an NBA assistant for the entirety of his career like from 2000 all the way now to uh, 2018 he's been an NBA assistant so he's he's a, another one of those guys that can kind of be a part of that lifer list um, even though he would be um, a European head coach and I think the first European head coach or uh, the first foreign head coach or one of them in the NBA
0: yep and in anticipation of someone saying oh so does he have that sort of you know grinding intense reputation that uh that Messina and Platt may or may not have uh in terms of what i was looking up i i didn't find anything um one thing i found is that his english wasn't very good when he started and now it's pretty okay it's not um difficult by any standards i was listening a couple of his interviews and it didn't seem like it'd be any difficulty or whatnot i don't think it would ever be much of a difficulty but i didn't i didn't find anything um that said he you know carried this reputation or whatever for mm-hmm. being unpleasant so if that's important to you then i guess i can we can write that off on him um but yeah couldn't find anything
1: all right Um, Let's go to next on the list, unless you have something else, but we will go to Chris Fleming, 48-year-old. Coach, what do you want to tell me about Chris Fleming?
0: Yeah, so one of the two Chris's on this list. Um, So currently he's an assistant on the Brooklyn Nets with Kenny Atkinson, who um, he played – a college at Richmond, I believe with, um, and before that he was on the Denver Nuggets bench for a year. And, but I, I, suppose where he's cut most of his time, uh, was overseas, um, in Germany. Uh, I don't have the team name in front of me, but it, it is QTSV. I don't know what that stands for. I'm sorry. Um, from 2000, to 2008. And then, hopefully I'm pronouncing it right, but Brosch Bamberg Baskets, tongue twister. Uh two thousand eight, two thousand fourteen, and he was the German national team coach from twenty fifteen to twenty seventeen. And in that time, uh he was the four time German cup winner. Um I don't I can't speak to the strength of that league in that title, but you know, if you win the title anywhere I'd, at least moderately impressive. And he won that four times in uh two thousand eight and then three in a row from 2010 to 2012 uh four-time german league champion uh, four straight years from 2010 to 2013 uh three-time german german super cup winner from uh, 2010 to 2012 and he was the german league coach of the year in 2011 i don't know if you can use the net stats necessarily against him currently just because the nets you know with their situation and their talent level it's not, you know, fantastic. Um I don't I don't think they rank very highly uh neither offensive or defensive rating.
1: But they're beloved in the way that they play basketball. Yeah. If that makes any sense.
0: They are very much aggressive in early offense and you know they they like to fire away and they have a couple guys who will oblige and like DeAngelo Russell or um Alan Crabb and and a couple other guys. So that's, it may not be backed up by much, but if you're someone who's, you know, big on threes and attacking and modern basketball, so to speak, then maybe he's your guy. Um, Don't have the nugget stats, as as, uh, sorry about that, but there is a big feature and shout out to Denver Stiffs for. Um, pretty much translating the whole audio clip, which didn't have access to, but they they outlined, you know, like his philosophies on defense, on offense, on you know, just coaching in general. And I, I didn't transcribe the whole thing in in these notes, but just a couple things that I highlighted. And after you read what I put in there, you can go read the whole thing for yourself um, defensively. He believes in drilling in the scheme early and not leaving any gray areas. Um, doesn't want players to think a lot on defense, which, if you're a Bucks fan, may sound appealing. Um, <laughs> it's <laughs> the opposite
1: because... of of what your what yeah. players are currently asked to do. Yes,
0: and maybe it's aggressive. I I can't say I watched um, Nuggets defensive highlights again. I apologize. Not perfect, but um, just in in terms of how that's worded, it it seems like we said way, way back and being defensively realistic and, you know, setting a standard and drilling that in and then, you know, letting the players from there, you know, kind of react and not have to think about all these complex coverages and uh, all that kind of stuff. So that's appealing. Um, on offense, he believes in modern things like ball movement, playing in space with some purpose. Uh, I've, i I think he said somewhere in there about you can't just play in space and just pass the ball around. Like, you have to make that matter, which I think is an important thing we can maybe elaborate on if you want. Um, and then one thing that I particularly liked um, after, you know, he talks about, you know, playing with pace and ball movement and whatnot, he talks about uh, if if those sets and if that, that move in the ball doesn't work, or it, it, it runs its course and you haven't gotten the look you want. Um, he he believes in empowering players to, you know, be smart enough and, you know, have that freedom to make decisions from there, which I don't want to say the Bucs don't do that, but there's a lot of times where they all just kind of clear off to the other side of the floor and let, you know, Chris or Giannis or whoever kind of make their own decision, and there isn't, you know, like that... that uh, that freedom and like that compatibility to play off each other from there, um, so that's something a little bit exciting. And then, just in general, he believes in motion rules, but like I said, he keys on how the players play after the set breaks down, and encourages them to play with freedom and trust each other. And hopefully, that works. And that at least has shown up in in both Denver and Brooklyn. So,
1: yeah, I was going to say, I, I just think as you kind of go through that Nets team and think about how they play basketball. Like I think there there's probably got to be a lot that would intrigue you as a Bucks fan, like especially after watching this Bucks team, uh, for the last couple of years, like just, um, being able to kind of go through some of those things and, uh, Think about the things that have frustrated you. Like we always talk about it, when things break down for the Bucks, it's just, all right, Giannis, you got this. Um, okay, Chris, go to your spot and let's see what what can happen. And with the way that both of those teams play, or the both both of those teams had played, um, you can kind of see the the idea that you got to continue to be creative and not just kind of focus on that. That one singular um, idea. so uh, to me, I, I think that's that's kind of exciting. Um, and then I, I just think watching that Nets team, you see them bomb away, right? And again, whether or not that's that's more Kenny Atkinson than Chris Fleming is. Certainly up for debate, but just the fact that they are as willing as they are to embrace modern offense in the way that they're embracing modern modern offense, I just think would would to me feel very exciting that that would be something that that you'd want to see. So um, he's interesting to me. I'm I am I'm intrigued. Uh, hmm. Let's see. We got do we have the other Chris next? We do. Other Chris is next. Um, this is a guy that. I have found myself as the playoffs have gone on um, thinking about as the Bucks, uh as a, as a guy in the top of my Bucks list, uh, as we've watched this playoffs play out uh, he is 48 year old Chris Finch, currently the assistant coach of the new Orleans Pelicans. What do you have on Chris Finch?
0: All right. So uh, when we, when we talk about people like, you know, the Becky Hammonds or the banterpools pools or the, jim boylan's you know being farther down on the list it's not because they aren't smart or qualified or good or whatever it's because guys like finch and the guy coming up next no spoilers um are just they've done things in a way that i know excites me a ton and like excites you a bunch as well so that being said chris finch um So, he started uh, overseas, kind of like a lot of these people. Uh, He spent 12 seasons in several European stops, I believe. Oh, man, I'm uh, actually going to try to remember where they all were. A couple of places he won titles in, and then a couple of places, you know, things didn't work out, and he he would get fired pretty quickly. Um, Whatever. So, uh, one of those places was, you know, in, in, in Britain... And he was the coach of the year in the British Basketball League uh, in 1998-1999 season. So quite a bit of ways away, but that also speaks to how long you know he's been in this coaching game. Um, don't have every stop he's made on the list, but uh, from 2009 to 2011, he was the head coach of the Rio Grande Valley Vipers or Grand Vipers, maybe um, in the in the then D League and that that title if if you don't know why that's a little bit exciting it's because uh that has been famously you know the the testing ground or the the lab so to speak for for the houston rockets and their i don't want to say perversion but like their their like weirdest little fantasies about like how far you can take an offense um in terms of just bombing away from threes mm-hmm. and stressing threes and, and little bunny layups and whatnot. So yeah, anyone to have been, I guess, graced with that coaching experience, you know, <laughs> definitely, definitely someone who, you know, is a forward thinker, really innovative. Um, in Finch's case, I believe Arnovitz said that he's like almost maniacal with like how, how, much energy he's putting forward in, <laughs> in, like, in like the next best thing in offense, which which is pretty great if you ask me. Um, yeah, in that stint he was coach of the year and champion in the two thousand nine two thousand ten season, and uh, in two seasons uh, he was first and third in offensive rating, which is you know the the D league isn't you know thirty teams deep or anything, but. To be that high up is pretty impressive. Um, he was also the national, um, British national head coach. Jeez, it's hard to say. Also like Joe Prunty is, I believe, up until...
1: Yeah, he, t- he Finch was the British national team coach before Joe Prunty. the one immediately preceding him. Yeah, yeah. took over in 2013. Finch was there until uh, 2012 and okay. obviously coached him in the 2012 Olympics as well.
0: Uh, and then from there, or I guess in addition to that, he was uh, an assistant on the Rockets bench. He got promoted after the Rockets found him, put him through their lab, and then obviously promoted him. Uh, so he was there from 2011 to 2016, and the associate head coach um, from 2014 to 2016. And uh, from, from that stint, is his offensive rating, or the team's offensive rating, I should say, was never lower than 13th. Um, Kind of difficult to you know, like we've said a couple of times, figure out like how much is his influence, how much was uh, Kevin McHale's or Kelvin Sampson or whoever. Yeah. Um, but where it gets at least particularly exciting for for me and maybe for you, I can't speak for you, um, is his last two stops. So he was uh, with the Nuggets from twenty sixteen to twenty seventeen with uh, Mike Malone, and he helped bring. What was then the 20th ranked offense uh, in Denver to fifth in one season? It's quite a jump. Yeah. Uh, from in, in that he he you know obviously if you make that kind of jump you want to know people want to know like what you're what you're up to and he basically just credits pushing the pace getting the ball um, to and through Nikola Jokic.
1: I mean, that's got to be the most exciting thing, right? Like, Jokic is a a strange basketball talent. Um, Undoubtedly crazy talented, but, like, he can be a little bit difficult and a little bit different to fit into a normal offense, and, like, he made that work.
0: Right, and I think we'll maybe talk about that a little bit, or talk about that kind of philosophy in a little bit, but... Yeah, from there he he got hired to join Alvin Gentry in New Orleans, uh, just for this past year. And if you watch them in the playoffs, just dunk every single time. Uh, yes. <laughs> then that is undoubtedly part of his influence um, in New Orleans. He uh, took or helped take their offensive rating from 26th last year uh, to ninth this season. Uh, I think it was almost like as high as five. And a couple of times, and that's, you know, for a good majority of the year, that was with DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis and, you know, technically a non-shooting point guard and Rondo and not a perfect roster by any means, but um, yeah, 26th to 9th kind of speaks for itself. Uh, there's an interview he did. Uh, I'm not quite sure at what point in the season, but he, again, emphasized letting players play with both freedom and to their strengths, which is probably music to a lot of Bucks fans' ears. Um, and for a, a particular interest of mine and again probably also yours is he uh, he enjoys playing offense with randomness not necessarily in like how you scheme it but just you want to give the defense as many you know quick little looks as possible um, sometimes calling set plays sometimes not calling a play at all and just letting them you know, play some motion and some flow you know just kind of mixing it up like that because I think that's again you know something the bucks kind of struggled with is being way too predictable at times and just letting the defense set itself and make life just that much more difficult. Um
1: if if you've happen. I was gonna say if you followed me at all during these playoffs, um if you I mean if you follow me at all on Twitter, I've been talking about this entire year. Every time I watch the Pelicans, I wonder How are they throwing so many damn lobs to Anthony Davis? Because if you watch a Bucks game at this moment, it's—I mean—it's an event if Giannis gets a lob, right? Like it's—it's incredible. Like, oh my gosh, an alley oop to him actually worked. Like, and three or four times a game in a half court set, this Pelicans team is throwing lobs to Anthony Davis, and I guess to me, like, just the idea that. You can get him shots that are so easy. Like dunks are easy, and alley oop dunks most of the time tend to be uncontested easy looks. And Giannis gets to the rim a ton, and he's able to do a lot of that. Um, uh, he's able to do a lot of his damage at the rim, but there's there tends not to be anything easy about it. Like, there tends to be him finding his way through uh, a maze of defenders and then still getting to the rim. While with Anthony Davis, like there's just easy looks. And again, they, they play different positions and they're different players. But just kind of that idea it was really exciting to me. And then you go through some of those other coaching stops, Jokic really unique talent that he found a way to leverage. Um, You look at the Houston Rockets, that was Kevin McHale, um, but also James Harden came there in uh, the 2013 season. And that means for at least half of his time in Houston, uh, he got to coach James Harden and he figured out how to help maximize James Harden. And again, Mike D'Antoni is going to get a lot of that, but... um, I think Mike D'Antoni is an awfully smart NBA coach. Um, If some of that rubbed off onto Chris Finch, I don't think that would be a bad thing. Um, So I just think those three, his last three, or I shouldn't say his last three, his only three uh, NBA assistant coaching gigs to me are very exciting. Like each of those has a star player that he helped maximize in some way. And again, doling out exactly how much credit he deserves is a difficult task but just the idea that three times three different stars three unique stars he has helped maximize I think you have to immediately be thinking oh my gosh what could he do with Giannis
0: right and it's not just you know maximization in terms of like easy shots help and then you know their talent in general but it's maximization of How frequent you get him the ball, and how like at what times in the shot clock you get him the ball. Like you watch the Pelicans, like they're not gonna go long stretches without getting Anthony Davis the ball. They're not. They didn't do that for Jokic or Jokic or whatever in Denver. It's uh, you know, it's just it's it's pretty clear that Finch not only just understands that you're gonna be successful when your best player has the ball in his hands, but it just figured out a way. To you know, maximize his spot on the floor, and just you know, just figured out a way to make it really successful while playing through your best player and making everyone else better because of it.
1: Yeah, that seems huge to me because it's largely something uh, that the Bucks have struggled with. So um, I'm I'm very we're we're getting very very close to the top of the the list of guys that interest me. Chris Finch is there. Um, I, I would be very excited about that. Um, now we will get to the number one candidate and, uh, in the, in the interview Brian Windhorst did with my friends at ESPN Madison, Tony Cartagena and TJ Hogan, um, when he talked with them, this is the other guy that he mentioned. Monty Williams is one of them, um, as kind of, uh, a relationship based guy, a guy that could really connect with Giannis and do a nice job with that the other side he had mentioned was a guy that's going to be a great tactician a guy that's really going to be able to figure out the x's and o's and really be able to put together a strong team and that was Raptors assistant coach Nick Nurse 50 years old um tell me everything I want to know about Nick Nurse
0: (laughs) with pleasure Well, for starters, he plays the piano. Do you, <laughs> do you need me to go on? Yeah, p- please do. Okay. So, other than that, uh, he, like we we mentioned with Finch um, Nurse, also spelled spelled, spent uh, twelve years coaching over in Europe, and he was the British Basketball League Coach of the Year in ninety nine, two thousand, and two thousand three, two thousand four. And he was a champion uh, in 1996 and 2000. Um, from there, he got a, a good uh, a gig with the Iowa Energy in the D League from 2007 to 2011. Uh, he was both champion and coach of the year in 2011. Um, just a couple of stats from that. I don't know how much stock again you want to put in D League stats, but um, when he got there, they were the second worst offense in terms of in terms of offensive rating in the D League. And in the course of one year, they went from second worst to uh, to fourth, which is a pretty good jump. I, I think there were maybe 14, 16 teams. So, again, not as deep of a uh, a league as the NBA, but still uh, a great improvement. Um, and then from from that, he um, constructed an offense that was never worse than seventh in offensive rating um, in, in, in his time with energy and coming up with you know Rio Grande Valley the lab
1: yep.
0: and on top of that he was uh I think just the energy um maybe both but they had the the number one offense twice as well and I forgot to mention this with his um, British league stuff but he was uh I don't know if he was the guy but he he introduced a, a lot of modern basketball t- into that league because they were just playing you know late 90s basketball and he mm-hmm. He was one of the the foremost people to introduce like stretch fours, stretch fives, hmm. um, you know, pace and space, um, how to play piano. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> um, so yeah, he's. I don't know if he's the most innovative guy, but it, it, at least in terms of those British leagues, he was definitely one of the the you know the pioneers of modern basketball. And then obviously that follows with his success with the energy and uh, Rio Grande Valley, in which. He was also a champion in 2013, and that made made him the first and only coach in D League history to win a title with two different teams. Um, and he was only there for two years, but they led the league in threes both seasons. I know you're probably a fan of that, and a lot of Bucks mm-hmm. fans. As well, uh, and from there, you know there was a lot of articles written about him, like, "Oh, he's he's got to go to the NBA." People are asking him, "When are you going to go to the NBA?" And he was just saying. You know, I'm having a lot of fun learning and you know, just trying to make seasons work with, you know, so many call ups and roster change in the D League and whatnot. But he did get the call to the Raptors in uh twenty thirteen. Uh, from from, you know, the beginning of that, the Raptors, you know, have not had an offense worse than ninth in offensive rating, which is pretty dang good. And at least it's kind of hard to take a step back with the Raptors but we have to because there was a Zach Lowe article I want to say late winter or something you know detailing um, you know this like the next like oh this is are the Raptors for real this year like Mm -hmm. for the fourth time or whatever And, and that's because you know the Raptors were they were good and they were always you know like at some point in the year kind of like on a on a roll and whatnot and maybe this is the year and yep. Whatever. And then whenever they got to the playoffs it would kind of fizzle out for whatever reason. So what Lowe wrote about in this in, in this piece this year was last summer after, you know, another I guess you could call it failure in the playoffs, um the Raptors president, I believe Masai Ujiri, uh came in and demanded, you know, a, a change of something significant the culture, uh, potentially the coaching staff, uh, something that would actually make a difference. And so Lowe went on to detail and I want people that read this. So I don't want to give everything away. Um, he detailed the Raptors, um, undertaking this, this new philosophy, pretty much championed by Nick nurse, um, when he arrived in 2013, he he pitched, you know, his, his philosophies or whatever Dwayne Casey, and for whatever reason they didn't stick right away or weren't implemented entirely or whatever. But this summer, they, you know, Casey or whoever, under whatever pressures, um, you know, gave gave a little bit more way to to let Igner, you know, kind of sprinkle his magic dust on it or whatever you want to call it. And, and and most, maybe not most importantly, but the the biggest thing that he implemented was what he called in the article a shot spectrum, which is basically uh, I don't I don't know if it's a map or what the vis- visualization of it is, but it, it's basically charting out on the court what kind of shots you want to take. So he. Uh, he obviously put a huge emphasis on taking threes from everyone on the roster um, that was capable of it, at least. I'm um, taking threes, um, you know, emphasizing again, threes, layups, stuff in the paint. And, and, and what the spectrum did, instead of just treating threes as threes, layups as um, twos, and, you know, that kind of traditional scoring, he, he, he put a point value. I think corner threes or just threes in general were worth four points and um I think layups were maybe still two or maybe three but then anything in between that so basically mid-range or long twos was worth negative 1 point. So <laughs> it like it sounds pretty fantastic if you if you really think about it but you know from there uh I think over the course of that summer he he took the bench guys and, you know, introduce them to it first and, you know, kind of had them not only forming a chemistry, but, you know, establishing this, this way of valuing shots and prioritizing, like, where you want to get certain guys the ball and how you're going to do it. And overall, just, you know, establishing something more creative. And more efficient, I guess you
1: could say. I, I feel like the big thing to me was the the fact that they use those new scoring in like pickup games, like that. Like it was so comprehensive of a like a, of a new page being turned that it, it just seemed so I mean, to me refreshing. Like that's a thing that you can do. That's amazing. That's <laughs> because. You think about this Bucks team and kind of the way that they've played basketball and what they've done under Jason Kidd and now Joe Prunty, and you think of a of, of a retrograde kind of basketball. And this what they've done this year is kind of the opposite of it. And again, like like you had mentioned, okay, so this is the first year that they they really let Nick Nurse go crazy and do all of this. Like the Raptors were very good offensively before that. Like the yeah. Raptors, since he's been there, have been a top ten offense. Um, la- this year they were third. Last year sixth. Fifth the previous season, and fourth the previous year. Like they've been good offensively. <laughs> um, so it's not like just using some of his ideas. Like it, you needed like the full mad scientist kind of approach. Like. He was like him and the offense were doing just fine before that. Um, and I just think of you look at DeMar DeRozan this season and uh, he doubled the amount of threes that he took. And again, that's not a ton. Like he, he's still just taking uh 3.6, 3 point, 3 point attempts per game this year. Um, but that's up 1.7 from last year. And uh, DeRozan was in his um, looking at it, his, this would have been his ninth NBA season. And I think one of the things I've heard from Bucks fans is okay, Chris Middleton, like he's done such a great job from the mid range. No one is really shooting the ball basketball or shooting the ball better from the mid range than Chris Middleton this year. Like, are you really going to be able to break him out of his habits? He broke Nurse, broke DeMar DeRozan out of his habits. Um, and DeMar DeRozan, yeah, and Kyle Lowry, too. Like, both of those guys are older. Than Chris Middleton. Both those guys are further into their career, um, and they were able to do that with them. So, to me, that just makes him such an exciting candidate. And um, because, again, you want to be able to maximize your players. And um, certainly that's something that we were talking about with Chris Finch, but you also need to have systems that make sense in uh, modern basketball. And you needed to be able to find a way to reach your players. And I think a summer where Nick nurse kind of took the lead for the Raptors and did all of that um, and transformed those players and got the, like those guys have to buy into it like they have to trust you and say okay this is the way that we should play basketball and um I know we've seen the Raptors have some problems in their playoff series uh now against the Wizards but just I think to me just the idea that you can kind of move some of these things around and find a way to reinvent an already good basketball team uh, I think that has to be incredibly exciting for Bucks fans to think about and why I think it makes a lot of sense for him to be at the top of your list um uh, Kevin Arnovitz in his article this year which didn't go in, into as many details as as some of the years past in order to name more of the guys um but if you want to look at his 2016 list I believe that has like a more dedicated Nick Nurse page but I think this sentence is really what any Bucks fan would kind of dream about. Any team looking to install a coach who will patiently teach a young core to play the right way and systematize an offense will likely find Nurse to be a compelling prospect. Yeah, sign me up. <laughs> like that's, That sounds like something I'd be very excited about as a Bucs fan. So um, I think that makes a lot of sense why Nick Nurse is at the top of your list.
0: Yeah, and on top of that, um, just a couple of stats. Um, this year they're playing at their fastest pace, um, and by quite a uh, pretty large margin. I think they're 13th overall, and they had last year they had the very worst assist percentage in the entire league, and now this year they're 11. So
1: that's, that's significant.
0: Yeah, I mean that's great, and I know a lot of people you know want the Bucks to you know move the ball and like trust each other and whatnot. I think those two stats it. it I don't know if they're the, you know, number one and two best stats of all time for this case, but it, it shows that they are trusting each other and finding um, better shots faster within the shot clock. And that, that, again, goes back to, you know, valuing, you know, corner threes, a.k.a. like a good shot value and spacing. And yep. they're hunting that out more than they ever have been. And I think that's something the books, you know, obviously could benefit from. And on top of that, um, another thing that's just, you know, overall impressive, and I think Windhorse spoke to it a little bit in, in his interview, is that, um, at least with this current Raptors team, what do you think about, like, right after, you know, the couple stars or whatever, is how damn good their bench is. Yeah. And that's because... I think, I mean, obviously, I mean, they've drafted well. Sorry, Pucks fans. Um <laughs> They've drafted well, you know, and, and, you know, talent helps or whatever. But that kind of, you know, unselfish play and, 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 you know, again, shot value and space value and whatnot involves everyone on the court. And I think that, I mean, maybe it, it won't work in this playoff series or going forward yet, but... That's the kind of basketball you want. You don't just want, oh, Giannis do it, oh, Chris do it, or Bledsoe or whoever. I mean, you don't want to take away all their touches, but you want them to be able to trust everyone on the court and vice versa, and spreading it out like that makes your offense more predictable, or (laughs) less predictable, um, more efficient, and, you know able to to access more, you know, in a playoff series or just a tough matchup in general. And all that I I believe is because of Nurse. And you know, that's why he's number one.
1: All right. So to recap the list, at the very top is Nick Nurse, then Chris Finch, Chris Fleming, Igor Kokosov, oh nope, I screwed that one. Kokoskov? Kokoskov, I believe. Kokoskov. That makes way more sense. Yes, Kokoskov. Um Then Nate Tibbetts and David Vanderpool, the two assistants for the Portland Trailblazers. David Fisdale, Jim Boylan, not that one, the good one. Um, And then the entire grouping of Spurs folks and then a whole other list. So um, that is, I think, as comprehensive as a coach breakdown you can have. Um, And I guarantee it's the most comprehensive on the Internet. But... It's not all the way done. Like, you can participate in it and help out and make this even better so that Bucks fans are even more and well informed. If there's someone that you really like, put something together and let Eric know, and we can add it or you can send it to me. Like, I don't really care either. Like, hit me up at Eric underscore name hit Eric at at eric Benning no underscore i believe b u e n n i n g hit us up and we can add something onto this this Google doc and hopefully you know totally pimp this out and make this uh, just a huge comprehensive list that all bucks fans can hop on and get behind and uh, try to add to it and again, you may feel very differently about. Any of the candidates we listed, any of the candidates that we've talked about, um, you may have other guys that are, that are at the top of your list despite liking some of these guys. But um, hopefully this helped you think about this and think through it and uh, attempt to figure out exactly who might be a good fit for the next Milwaukee Bucks coach. So with all that being said, thanks, Eric.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me and let me... Um experience you know this the sacred airwaves of lockdown (laughs) um i appreciate it and yeah like eric said um they by no means is this you know an authoritative list it's just something
1: it's um, semi-authoritative like you've clearly done the research and put in time to create this list. And again, I know you like to say, you know, I just did some Googling and looking at okay. candidates, which is totally fine, but you actually did it. And a, a number of people haven't actually done that. So that's why I, I will say this is semi-authoritative.
0: Okay. Fair enough. You know, hopefully the Bucks pick the right candidate, whether that's on this list or not. And hope oh, maybe it is. Uh, if there's anything you don't like, you can tweet at eric underscore name and yep. that handle only
1: yep i'm and, ready for it
0: <laughs> yeah i mean it i i mean i don't want to make it too big of a deal but this is a pretty pretty big decision it's as huge bucks, <laughs> the, the bucks are concerned going forward and yeah it's something at the very least something to think about as you know the season's over and we got to get, uh, you know, prepared for all this kind of stuff. So again, thank you for having me on. And hopefully this is helpful.
1: Yeah. And I would say one big thing to remember, go through this Google doc because any of the any of the things that Eric has referenced, um, any of the things that I have referenced, all a part of that Google doc, like all of that information is there for you. If you want to read more, if you want to learn more, um, you can go and do that. I mean, obviously you can Google stuff yourself, but also it's there for you in the Google doc. Um, so check that out or check it out on Brewhoop.com. Uh You can find all of that. So thank you for listening, Eric. I'm so happy that you came and joined us and we were able to go through this, even though it was a little bit longer than I wanted to. And I think I probably ended up splitting this into a couple podcasts, which is totally fine. Um, but hopefully you've enjoyed the ride that we've gone on here as we've looked through uh, a number of possible bucks coaches for Eric Benning. For Eric Name, this has been Locked On Bucks.